The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before listening to the podcast. New episodes air Tuesdays at 10pm on FX. Join us every week after the show. Henry had a lightness. There are demons down there, but it doesn't seem like they've got them, those demons. Whereas it does seem like they got Paige even before she knew what was going on. Welcome to the Americans podcast for season five. I'm June Thomas, managing producer of Slate Podcasts and your host for the series, which goes behind the scenes of the show. Today, we'll be talking about episode 511, Jatkova. Later, we'll hear from producing director Chris Long about what his job involves and the particular challenges and opportunities that season five presented. But first, here are showrunners Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields. Today, I'm in gay-friendly Gowanus, Brooklyn, <laughs> with Joe Weisberg, the creator of the show. Hi, Joe. Hi, June. And his co-showrunner and co-executive producer, Joel Fields. Hi, hey, Joel. June. Hey. So, this is almost a standalone episode of the Jenningses chasing down a Nazi collaborator. We try to have one each season. And oh. yet, and yet, it has a critical, pivotal move at the end in the ongoing story for Philip and Elizabeth. It certainly does. And Note, has- by the way, just to keep yeah. you from getting a word out of your mouth. Note that we're always saying how we have stories based on true stories, and you'd be surprised which they are. This is kind of based on a true story. Oh, so tell me more about that. There was a woman who this character is closely based on, Mm. who was a Nazi collaborator and executioner, and evaded the Soviet authorities for years and years and years until the KGB finally tracked her down. I can remember it was in the 70s or the 80s. Not in America. She wasn't in America. She was still in the Soviet Union, but successfully hidden ever since World War II. And they finally found her and executed her. The confrontation with Natalie Granholm really, really seems to unsettle Elizabeth in a way that is surprising, not because of the violence or because of the difficulty of the mission, but just what she did seems really outrageous to Elizabeth. Is that because she's a patriot or is there something else going on there? I think it has a lot to do with um, those things and also with the fact that the divide between her and Philip is painful here. Uh Even though it's always complicated, they've been very together lately, Uh very able to work through their differences when they they aren't on the same page about something doesn't really create any trouble for them. But to see him unable to shoot even a Nazi collaborator – I think is very rough on her. It does seem also to really disrupt everything about the way they work together. That seems to be what pushes Elizabeth to say, yeah, it's time to go home. Is Philip's freezing a symptom or a cause of their departure, do you think? I think it's simultaneously hard to say and not something really for us to answer, curiously. Mm. But I think... It's clearly the pivotal moment for her or the last straw in terms of getting her to that decision. And as Joe said, the fact that there's her husband and he can't pull the trigger. He can't kill someone who's as deserving to be 
executed as anyone they've ever killed. Mm -hmm. And he just can't do it. He's not there anymore. And there she is afterwards. And rather than arguing with him, she essentially chooses the marriage over the mission. It's mm -hmm. a huge moment for their marriage in the long arc of this show. Mm -hmm. She'd rather go home than continue to sort this out with, with him in that level of pain. And it's interesting, too, that it comes after an interaction with someone who's done something quite similar in superficial ways to what they've done in terms of letting go of their previous identity, taking on a new identity, completely inhabiting it and denying any alternative. We well, well and, that's interesting. Yeah, and also asking the question, can a person change? Right, right. Which is obviously a central question for Philip. And even wants if, to change. Even if Natalie has changed, it doesn't really matter, right? Well, it doesn't matter well, to Elizabeth. She, it doesn't matter to Elizabeth, and it sure doesn't matter to all the people she killed. Right, exactly. <laughs> Henry, who's I can never get over Henry. He's he's that boy is a is an endless source of surprise. Um, <laughs> and his getting into a fancy boarding school feels particularly fraught because many of us. Uh, outsiders, surely, associate such places with the highest echelons of the American establishment. You know, he's, he's basically on a path to Princeton and, and the State Department and maybe even the CIA. Two senators and a Nobel Prize winner, he Exactly. Says. Which one would he rather be? And <laughs> Henry's cracked the code. I mean, without making any effort, it seems almost without trying or even being present. Or even without getting all that much help. He, totally. Philip and Elizabeth seem to have absolutely achieved their mission without, as you say, almost accidentally. But they're not even able to take it on board. They just can't even process what's going on with Henry. Is it just that poor youngest child who doesn't really get the attention of the parents? What's going on with the parenting of Henry, do you think? From the beginning of the show, even before Paige knew what they did, it always felt that there was a division in this family between the three of them and him. Um, and even if they'd never told Paige, I think that would have been true. That Henry had a lightness. Mm. That there was a... The, the three of them had a kind of a heaviness and a darkness. And I don't want to trivialize it or by calling it the sort of Russian soul, mm. because I think that's too simple. Mm. But that there is a way in which they all had a Russianness that he didn't have. And he was a happy-go-lucky American kid, which I think is also oversimplifying him. Because mm -hmm. if you think about what he's been through that mm -hmm. he's not aware of, there there are demons down there. But if, if you also look at him, it doesn't seem like they've got him, those right. demons. Right. Whereas it does seem like they got Paige even before she knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. He's that tall, handsome American who ever would have thought when we saw Henry in episode one that that, that tall young man would, would emerge He wasn't from supposed the... to get so tall. That, <laughs> is, that has not worked something. out well for us. Quite something to watch. Yeah. <laughs> At the beginning of every season, like, oh my goodness, look at Henry now. I know. Information about the camps and the use of mental institutions as punishment seems to be much more out there this season. That's a big change, it seems, in the show as far as what Russians know about Russia. And I know I asked you about this at the beginning of the season, but it seems undeniable at this point that we, we see Russian people just not being able to deny what's going on, what has gone on in Soviet history. That seems, again, very disruptive of their 
life. If they were Paige in episode two, they'd be sleeping in a closet right now. What can be done for the Russians? And I take it this is a reflection of historical reality, that this was coming out then? It wouldn't have been coming out then. In fact, everybody really would have known it was just part of the cultural fabric. I think it was hard to be alive then and not have a relative who'd been through that. Oleg's in a unique position because his father was powerful enough to get her a pardon. Mm -hmm. And with that, his father and mother could not tell their children. But otherwise, you went through life. Every time you had to fill out a job application, has an immediate relative ever been in prison? Why? Oh. So those were things that people carried with them through generations. In a way, the the story of the Soviet Union after Stalin, during Stalin, after Stalin, was the story of what Stalin did and the, and the, and the story of the society trying to rebuild itself and recover and, and not mm-hmm. not recovering from it. And, and the various stages they went through of, under Khrushchev, starting to talk about it and starting to open up, and then Brezhnev shutting that down mm-hmm. again and Gorbachev opening it up back up again. And, and, and those, those up and downs are, are you know, reflective of a society struggling with this mighty, mighty pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're, we're taking you know, this one family in this little moment in the mid eighties and trying to show their experience with it. But as Joel said, we could have picked a, a lot of families and shown a, a thousand or, or, an, or an endless number of stories about it. Mm-hmm. I think for us, the challenge was to as outsiders, you know, as people who didn't live it mm-hmm. and as people who aren't Russian or aren't, aren't Soviet, try to get the little pieces of it right. And, you know, we did whatever we could to use our own, understanding our own common sense our own intuition and we talked to a number of people who are more familiar with it and know it better and and just try to piece it together lydia Fomina appears to represent a newish development in russian society um, at least in what we've been shown she doesn't seem to fear the kgb one bit in fact she says outright that she thinks they're clueless that feels different doesn't it that you could just openly challenge the institutions and not just not care, have no fear. Apparently, that I don't think there were too many people who who could have done that. You mm-hmm. know, there were pe- people who were high enough up in the party and powerful enough because the KGB, of course, was under the party. It was mm-hmm. subservient to the party. So if you had enough power in the party, like Oleg's dad or a mm-hmm. few other people, you know, you didn't have to be scared of the KGB. But typically, somebody in Lydia's position would have had to have been scared of the, of the KGB. And I think was so interesting about this food story, which is completely based on a a real story Mm -hmm. um, and closely based on it, Mm -hmm. is that there were people in these food trade organizations who, uh, because they essentially controlled the nation's food supply, amassed enough power that they were able to do just that, to Mm -hmm. not not be scared of the KGB. And the long story of this battle between uh, these people in the KGB, they won. Mm -hmm. So I guess they knew what they were talking about. Right. Also, some of them went to prison and some of them got executed. Uh-huh. So <laughs> Now let's hear from Chris Long. I'm here in the Americans production offices and I'm in Chris Long's office. Chris is the directing producer. Is that the right term? Yeah. Um, and right what term. does that mean? Some shows don't have this position and some shows do. M- most shows do now. And it was sort of s- started really in the Bochco days on um, Hill Street. Shows like that where they needed a bridge between the line producers and the creators and the writing producers. And often 
that creative bridge didn't happen because the line producers are sometimes often more concerned about the budget, not mm-hmm. ours. Murray Ray is fantastic, but sometimes they are. And sometimes the writing producers aren't particularly au fait with exactly the nuts and bolts of production. Mm. Now, Joel and Joe are because this show has been going on for so long and Joel has enormous amounts of experience before this. So they're very good with it. And so this position was sort of created to, to be that bridge. And now most shows, most shows that have a large production value that aren't stage bound, have a producing director that's basically in charge of the creative vision of the series, making the 13 episodes um, feel like one movie, one book. This season, and typically, you have directed the first and the second and then the finale. So one, two, and 13. Yeah. Normally, the person in, in my position does this season opener and the season finale. Season opener because nothing needs prepping at that time apart from that one episode. Mm. And the season finale because normally you're, A, doing a, a lot of cleanup work for the other episodes, and B, because normally it's one of the biggest episodes of the season. So Now, you said cleanup work. Yes. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, always as we go through the season, there's scenes and bits and bobs that get dropped here and there for numerous reasons, like we have to shut down because of weather mm. or somebody gets sick or just natural things that happen to yeah. a crew, every, every crew. And we always invite the director of that episode back, but often because of how busy people's episodic schedules are, the director can't come back. So I end up directing a bunch of scenes or pieces or smaller pickup shots that might be needed. So so although this episode uh, that I'm directing at the moment, which is the finale 5.13, in, I think it's in 10 days, there's bits of other people's episodes in there that, uh-huh. need, that need cleaning because once we wrap this episode production is wrapped and there's no way to get any pickup shots. I see, because the crew goes home, the people who operate the cameras and the, the lights and... Everybody. Uh-huh. Yeah, everybody's off doing another job, hopefully, or yeah. taking a rest, whatever they want to do, but the infrastructure shuts down. Yeah. And it's a large infrastructure to to ramp up and ramp down. Enormous amounts of equipment that has to be returned and yeah. things like that. Wow. Uh, the first episode of the season is, of course, where we introduce a whole bunch of new mm-hmm. characters, mm-hmm. the yeah. Morozovs. Swan, yeah, exactly. The Eckerts were introducing new disguises, new mm. characters. So that's a much bigger challenge because when you did the cast an entire family, yeah. we had to find the family that worked together and they do beautifully. All those actors are absolutely wonderful. And mm. Ivan as well, who plays Twan, mm. is incredible. I remember auditioning him at Amblin and Amblin's a very intimidating place. It's on the Universal lot. You know, once you get on the Universal lot, then you've got to get into Amblin. And Amblin is Steven Spielberg's production company, Correct. right? Yeah. So it's all very, oh, you're going to Amblin. Yeah. Know? I remember the first time I met him and we walked into the, the lobby. Of, it's very odd because it's kind of a Southwest vibe to it. And they always audition you in this room where you feel like there should be, where there's a rug and a hearth <laughs> and a fire. And it's like, it's very, it's very disconcerting. Of course, if you work there full time, it's a yeah. vibe they're trying to create. Yeah. But when you just walk in from the Universal lot, it's very disconcerting. And I, and I said to Ivan, are you nervous? And he said, no. And I go, well, I am. I'm a 50-year-old man. And it was, so it was, uh, it, was, it was just interesting because he, he immediately was at ease. And if he was nervous, he didn't show it. He's such a good kid and he's such a good actor and he's yeah. brilliant in this. So the setting up of new characters is really interesting. Yeah. The casting, the wardrobing, the setting the frame, setting the new Eckerts and placing them in real environments and knowing that you're picking all those locations and that disguise and that family and that wardrobe for the long haul. Yeah. That's the challenge of doing the opening, the reintroduction of all our old characters and it's the creation of the new characters. Mm. And that's one of the reasons for me 
why I want to be a producer director on a show, which leads back to almost your first question, which is it's kind of about authorship. When you go from show to show to show as an episodic director, mm-hmm. you're joining somebody's sandbox. But when you're here for the long haul, like I am, and basically in charge of the overall arc of it from a directing standpoint, mm-hmm. then to me it's about the authorship. I feel way more authorship mm-hmm. of it with the, with the Joel and Joel mm-hmm. um, by being here full time with the creation of those characters and now in the finale, the culmination of those characters. Let's just step a little bit further back and talk about just season five as a whole. Yeah. Did you face any particular challenges this season? It seems like the weather wasn't that bad. No, the weather the weather wasn't that bad, actually, apart from last week, last Thursday and Friday night, we were shooting the opening scene of the finale, which was brutal. It was uh, 10 degrees. And, and it, it was, was very windy, wasn't oh it? Oh, my God, it was windy and just absolutely brutal. Did you um, have a crane or anything? Yeah, we had cranes and oh. equipment was blowing around and oh actors were freezing. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always film in winter. That, yes, that's part of it. It's also part of the look of the show. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of night exterior. It's supposed to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> spy stuff just, just looks great at night. Yeah, and yeah. you get more night in winter and it's just a different kind of look to it. And it's funny, actually, because the weather was way, way, way colder on last Thursday and Friday night than it was in Moscow when we were there. Oh, my goodness. I was frightened of the weather in Moscow, but the weather was nothing. Yeah. The director's job is one that outsiders have the most right confusion about because it has some technical aspects considerable technical aspects but it also has a big dramaturgical component and i wondered how do you see the balance between those things do you feel that you're more of one than the other or that you have to work harder on one than the other it's a very sort of right brain left brain thing nobody is great at everything oftentimes obviously when you get an actor directing he'll be exceptional with the actors and need sometimes help visually and then sometimes you'll get a cameraman who's directing who might need more help with the actors and stuff like that i started my career because my wife was an actress and um i would help her with her auditions Ah. before she went when i was actually in the in the way 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 back i was a sound guy back in the united kingdom Uh in post-production a dubbing mixer but when my wife would get auditions i would help her with these auditions she would say to me oh you're really good at directing you should think about (laughs) directing and stuff like that that's how i started it i met her working in the theater Uh also as a sound guy Uh i was a sound guy in the theater i was a a sound guy uh, in a music studio and a sound guy in a dubbing suite Uh before i came to the united states so i started really the very basics of my directing career were directing my wife Thanks to Chris Long, from whom we'll hear more next week, and to Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields for talking episode 511 with me. Thanks also to Ethan Simon for recording assistance and to the Americans' Sarah Nolan for her organizational help. Please join us next week when we'll be talking about episode 512, World Council of Churches. I'm June Thomas. This show is part of the Panoply Network. Panoply Network.